Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Brett Mir is hurt now. Oh! Down goes Duffy on Cole. Brett Mir does it again. Rock em, sock em, robots here. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Kenny Florian, who's trying to make everybody cry on Father's Day with those Instagram posts. <laughs> Monday, June 22nd, the year is 2020. Good to have you with us. Episode 255 of the Yannick and Florian podcast. It's good to see you, my man. This is this is your brother Kirk's birthday, man, and I have to lead with that. And, and we're going to get to Rocky BJJ opening up and everything that UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov held. But, but obviously your brother Kirk passed away several years ago, and there was a thoughtful post uh, to him on Instagram. And... Uh, I know you, I know Keith, I know Edgar, but I think Kirk might have been my favorite. You know, he was <laughs> such a ball of life. And honestly, probably the Florian brother that reminded me most of myself. So uh, that, that post this morning touched me. My man. Uh, thanks so much, man. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard. It, it's crazy looking back and being like he's he's not gone. and so, it, it, Like he's not here. And so much has happened since then. Yeah, um, there's so many times where I want to call him and, and talk to him. Um, still haven't been able to delete him from my contacts, but uh, he is right. he is remembered, and, and thank you for that. Of course, my man. All right, so last Wednesday, the doors open, Meraki BJJ, sort of a soft reopening. Yeah. I've seen Jason Hunt in the school posting on social media. So what was it like to sort of welcome the general masses back inside the building? It was good. You know, we're limiting uh, – we've been limiting it to about 10 people uh, to be in there at a time, so right. it's – 
very different than it was before. We have very small groups in there. We're trying to be as safe as possible. We have a ton of protocols where we're taking people's temperature and yeah. all that stuff. They don't have really access to the to the bathrooms. They go in, they train, and they get out of there. Um, we clean up in between sessions and all that stuff. So it's very different. But um, I got to say, it's great to see the community back in there. People are just like smiling again. I, I think you know, being able to create a community like that where, where people genuinely love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and have been missing it. And now uh, with them having the opportunity to get in there, even for just a little bit and train, um, I, I could see the smiles on their faces. We're all happy and, and starting to get back to some kind of a normal. So it, it's been nice, man. That's great, man, because I know there were times in early April where you start to think, man, are we ever, ever going to be able to open these walls again? And we have yeah. a fighter competing this weekend, Kama Worthy, and he owns his own academy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm curious to talk to him about it to see if right. ultimately closing for three months was too much to sustain the business. So a lot of gym owners are dealing with this, but I'm glad that you guys uh, have reopened. All right. So a lot to get to today. Uh, we'll start with headlines. And that, of course, is UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov. I loved this fight card top to bottom, but I didn't love this main event. I, I didn't think it was going to be super competitive. I have a lot of respect for Alexander Volkov in defeat. His training camp was compromised. He wasn't able to bring in the wrestlers that he would have liked to to really try to grind over eight weeks to prepare for this type of specialist, even though that maybe denigrates Curtis Blades a little bit to call him that. But what were your thoughts on a heavyweight attempting 25 takedowns and everything that encompassed that main event last Saturday night? You know, there really is a lot to unpack. Um, I, I thought for Curtis Blades, he started off phenomenally well. I, I thought that he really kept a great pace uh, for those early rounds. But that great pace, it seemed like was a little bit too much as we got into the later rounds. I think he got a little excited. I think he wanted to really prove himself uh, in this main event spot. And in doing so, uh, pushed a little bit too hard and really kind of... Um, almost gassed out late in the fight to the point where it looked like maybe things were going to turn completely in that fourth and fifth round where Volkov was going to completely take over. It didn't turn out that way. Blades was able to kind of reel it in a little bit and um, be a little bit more conservative in his approach. Seemed like guys like Dana White and other people, you know, I know you said you didn't love the main event. Right. Um, you know, it, it, unfortunately for Blades, I think him attempting all those takedowns wasn't necessarily the problem. It was the kind of takedowns that I think was the problem, um, if that makes sense. He was trying to do these high-amplitude takedowns and was trying to lift Volkov off the mat. Right. This is a huge guy yeah. uh, at heavyweight, and you you probably have maybe two or three of those heavy lifts in you you know, for uh, the, the duration of the fight in order for you to keep a certain pace. And I felt like Blades was just pushing a little bit too hard, a little bit too much. Uh, and was forcing things out there as opposed to kind of just letting the fight play out and just um, pacing himself properly. I think he pushed a little too hard, too fast, got too excited, and is going to learn a lot from that fight. Positionally, yeah. um, he, he could have been better with his jiu-jitsu, um, could have been a little bit better with his ground and pound, but uh, I think we'll see a better uh, Blades next time out. So when Curtis Blades fought Junior Dos Santos in his last fight in January, he was 248 pounds. He came into this fight 261 pounds. Mm. He didn't fear Alexander Volkov's power on the feet the way he respected 
Junior Dos Santos's power, Francis Ngannou's power, Mark Hunt's power, and he acknowledged as much in, in our fighter meeting. Now, I don't want to say that Curtis Blades took the opponent lightly, but he even knocked his own cardio from that third round on. And whatever the reason was that it abandoned him, whether it was the high amplitude takedowns or, or the technical approach, uh, I do think... There's valuable experience gained. There's lessons to be learned. I mean, he went 25 minutes for the first time, and I think he's got to realize that guys are going to bring things that you're not expecting. Volkov, for example, is going to be stronger than you expect and maybe not as easy to get out of there. Thankfully, he didn't pay the ultimate price. Uh, What are your thoughts on Volkov moving forward? Because I do think he has a lot to offer the division, um, but wrestling at least this night, proved to be his kryptonite. I mean, he came in with the highest takedown defense, at least statistically, in UFC heavyweight history, but uh, it took a big blow this week. And what are your thoughts on Volkov moving forward? Listen, I, I think Volkov um, learned a lot from this five-rounder as well. You know, a- again, anytime you, you get a smart fighter who's going to go out there and compete for 25 minutes, that's the experience of, like, five fights right there. Um and I think Volkov is going to learn that, yes, he does need to improve his wrestling and his grappling skills, his ability to get back to his feet. Um, and, you know, I think that um, he was standing a little bit too tall, was not changing his level, was not really bit, uh, a lot lower in his stance. So wasn't able to stop a lot of those takedowns, wasn't moving well footwork wise either. So. Right. Um, I think uh, a lot of that had to do with Blades. Blades was mis- um, uh, mixing up his stances and his angles and his approach, which I think was confusing Volkov. But I think if Volkov can improve his wrestling, um, I think he can get back on track. There's no doubt about it. This heavyweight division isn't the strongest it's right. been right, right now. So I think Volkov can definitely get back on track. I think both of these fighters that competed in this main event will learn a lot and will be better because of it. I just want to ask you one more technical thing because I didn't have the benefit of you to my immediate right on Saturday night. Volkov consistently closing his guard looked like a stall tactic to me. You have a referee in Herb Dean that was giving Curtis Blades plenty of time to work on the ground. I think there was only one warning and maybe one stand-up in the entire fight. Now, I know what a hip escape is. I know what urgent work is from the bottom. I know, by and large, in modern-day mixed martial arts, you're not winning when you're fighting off of your back. Were you surprised that the feet weren't on the hips, that he wasn't trying to hip escape and seemed content to just close the guard and try to control posture? Um, I I was in that it it seemed like he didn't prepare for those kind of things. I mean, you you fight a guy like a Curtis Blades, who's a who's a solid wrestler. you got to be ready to work off of your back and not in the way of of utilizing your clothes guard. You have to look for ways to put your feet on the hips, raising your hips, at least to defend those strikes and create space to get back to your feet, looking for underhooks, you know, to scramble. And Volkov just wasn't doing any of that. And I agree. I think a lot of that was him either being conservative and trying to stall the fight to look for a stand-up from the referee, or number two, didn't have the confidence to open up his legs from that guard position uh, and, and start to attack. I pr- he probably felt that Curtis Blades would take advantage of that, start working to advance his position. So, yeah, uh, listen, Volkov has a lot to work on, as does Blades. Yeah. Uh, both those guys positionally could be a lot better. Uh, and I think if they're able to do that, uh, they can get back to the top and, and, and perhaps challenge for the belt in the future. And we'll see what happens with Curtis Blades. I believe the winning streak is now four, but he is sort of the odd man out with the two losses to Francis Ngannou. And it stands to reason that Ngannou's title shot 
excuse me, title shot might not come until like February 2021. So yeah. if Blades wants to wait, it's going to be a long time. But he did say last night that he wants to get one more in in 2020. So we'll see if uh, maybe it's the winner of Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek who have a main event coming up. We'll see. But uh, Curtis Blades, certainly a heavyweight force to be reckoned with. We congratulate him on the main event win. All right, so the co-main event, I mean, this was the fight that jumped off the card for everybody. This was the people's main event, for lack of a better way to put it, and it'll probably hold up in the fight of the year conversation. With Zhang Wei Li and Ioana Janjacek turning in that masterpiece earlier this year, I believe in February, it feels like the fight of the year conversation is almost closed, but we do need five nominees, and Emmett Burgos certainly delivered uh, on all the hype coming in. Uh, definitely in my top five right now. Those guys really went at it. I, I thought, you know, the pace that uh, both those men, um, you know, started with was extremely impressive. Um, and the fact that they're doing that at this time during the quarantine um, showed that these guys really were confident in their conditioning. Uh, Burgos really uh, was the guy who was pressuring out there. Emmett really looked to kind of counter um, Burgos was perhaps the busier guy out there, but for me, it was Emmett who was landing um, packs, uh, fights, sorry, that were um, really way, way more powerful, I thought. Burgos yeah. was kind of chipping away, whereas Emmett was looking to really knock Burgos's head off uh, his shoulders, and um, some of those shots were just absolutely brutal. We all know about uh, Emmett's power. He's one of the few guys at 145 pounds that if he hits you, he will put you to sleep. And Burgos proved that he has a legendary chin. I, I mean, oh. there's just not a whole lot of guys in any weight class up to maybe 170 pounds that could take shots like Emmett through and continue to stand up or continue to be uh, awake and uh, responsive. I, I was just blown away by Burgos's chin. Um, and it was just an awesome fight back and forth. It was very close. Uh, the shifts in momentum, I, I thought made it really dramatic. Um, Emmett, I thought, um, dealt with a, a little bit of a knee injury early in that first round. Right. And I, I thought that it was not going to go well for him. Uh, but man, the toughness that he showed, uh, his consistency, his belief in himself, his ability to put together those combinations, especially late in that fight, is what won him that fight. I, I was blown away by Emmett's performance and Burgos as well. Uh, just it, it was tremendous and absolutely one of the best fights I've seen for sure. Yeah, an instant classic for sure. And Josh Emmett's got to feel really good about that performance. I understand that going in. The, the process was going to be to maybe try to mix it up and lean on all of his different skills and martial arts, but obviously his knee, the hyperextension or otherwise, happened very early in the fight, and, and that sort of took away some of the things that he wanted to do, and he had to sort of bite down on the mouthpiece, as he put it, and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Shane Burgos. But I do believe he's the biggest power hitter at 145 pounds, and I really hope it's not a torn ACL because he's 35 years old, he has dealt with serious injuries, and he really now is on the cusp of contention. And now three consecutive fights after that orbital floor fracture, right? He's knocked out Michael Johnson, knocked out Mursad Bektich, right? And the vertigo and everything else he was dealing with. And now this epic fight with Shane Burgos, I do believe that Josh Emmett will find himself in a main event setting or a title eliminator if he can turn it around here and fight again in 2020. If he's out for nine or 12 months, that's a pretty big blow at 35. It definitely. And that was a tough fight for Emmett. You, if you look at it stylistically, just Burgos is just massive for 145 pounds, by the way. And, um, you know, with that reach and length, um, I thought he was going to pose some problems for Emmett, which was why it was so difficult for me to pick 
uh, Emmett in that one. But for me, the thing that stood out, and I think the thing that really won him that fight, was just Emmett's natural power. It, it, it is something that you just don't see too often. Uh, and, man, just a, the, the back and forth in that fight really did make it legendary. Josh Emmett was the impetus for Joey Rodriguez becoming the boxing coach at Team Alpha Male. Those guys worked together for years, and they saw what Joey was doing with Josh Emmett, and that sort of helped facilitate his work with the rest of the team. So Joey and Josh have a very powerful relationship, but you're right. Josh did tell us last Thursday a lot of that power really is natural. And I think a lot of us have friends who just have that natural dad strength, you know? Uh, I mean, like our producer, Zach Candido, on the UFC, he lifts weights, but, like, even when he's not lifting regularly, he can toss me across the the fucking room like it's nothing you know I'm trying to do 150 push-ups a day and I'm just not retaining muscle you know so I do think there is natural power when it comes yeah. to Josh Emmett I do want to talk about one thing as far as the co-main event is concerned um, and I have some thoughts on Burgos on the backside but this Emmett camp just seems super sensitive to the media and to the commentators and to things being said about them you know Josh sort of confronted us in the fighter meeting Again, he mentioned it during the post-fight interview. I was at the host hotel, and Joey Rodriguez came up to me and said, you know, hey, sorry, Burgos didn't win, you know, and it was pretty obnoxious the way he kind of approached me. He was there with Chris Holdsworth and Josh Emmett, and Holdsworth kind of came to my defense a little bit, but I was certainly caught off guard by it. I've been calling fights for nine years, and even though I've had fighters reach out to me privately, I've never had somebody confront me at the host hotel. I can assure you the NFL broadcasters aren't dealing with this bullshit. Um, but I went back and watched the fight. I don't see any sort of bias. Uh, not for nothing. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm from Boston. I don't go out of my way to root for fucking New York anything, okay? Um, <laughs> but as far as this fight was concerned, I thought we called it even-handedly. If you see me and DC's reaction to Josh's knockout of Ricardo Lamas, I mean, we're promoting the shit out of this guy. So I'm hoping that over the next few days, and I did reach out to Josh privately, I'm hoping that either Josh or Joey will come out with something as to what exactly they're talking about because the number one fucking thing we do as commentators, and you know this, Ken Flo, uh, is try to be objective and call it like we see it. And yeah. yes, maybe we miss a strike or two, but I just don't understand the genesis of all this venom coming from the Emmett camp that you would take time in your post-fight interview to call out the guy who's doing the post-fight interview. So again, I apologize for whatever it is that we have allegedly done, but these are some pretty serious allegations and I would like to hear exactly what they're referencing so I can try to do better, you know? Yeah, I wonder what it is as well. You know, I... <laughs> Listen, as a professional athlete, we all like to think that, uh, you know, we're, we're confident in our abilities and this and that. But I think when you go and, and approach someone and say something like that, I think it shows a certain insecurity. Um, I, I'd be curious to know what exactly they heard from you uh, or, or someone else yeah. that you're associated with. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I know from obviously our interactions here on the podcast or for what I'm heard what, from what I've heard, uh, you know, from the broadcast and things, I've never heard you say anything, um, you know, negative uh, about Josh Emmett in any way, shape or form. So yeah, I think, um, it, it'd be important for them to kind of speak up about that. And I think it's just unprofessional. I, I mean, again, this is a sport, you know, and you don't make predictions anyway. You know, I, I think that's, a lot of the hardest thing for me a lot of times because right. you do interact with a lot of these guys. And, and I think the UFC kind of puts you guys in an awkward situation, putting you guys in a small space where you guys have to interact in the lobby with a lot of these fighters and you guys yeah. are supposed to be objective. I think that alone makes it really tricky for you guys. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think if you're a confident professional fighter and if you're a part of someone's team, 
don't go up to one of the commentators and say some crap like that. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's pretty unprofessional and, and unnecessary. Yeah, well, no, I appreciate your support, obviously. And it wasn't even my intention to necessarily bring it up today. Sure. But for the first time in nine years calling UFC fights, I did think, you know, maybe I shouldn't be staying at the host hotel. Maybe I should go stay with Joe Rogan, right? Because inevitably there is going to be some interaction. And part of the reason why I do stay here is because I like that interaction. And I get stuff from coaches in the right. hallway. But it's just getting to a point where every show we're fucking dealing with something. And I'm, I'm getting sick of it because, you know, man, like I spent fucking six hours yesterday prepping the goddamn show for this weekend. It's like I dive in head first. I try to give all these athletes the respect. And this has weighed pretty heavy on me over the last, you know, 36 hours. You know, we see things from our perspectives. And when you get fighters or teams or whatever it is, and they already have this chip on their shoulder, um, they're looking for any little thing out of anybody's mouth. And they're going to yeah. see this as this negative thing or uh, this thing that you hate them or the whole world is against them. Um, and, you know, I think that's on them, unfortunately, you know, so I, I think it, there's a lot of projection there that that comes from professional athletes. There are a lot of insecurities there and yeah. uh, MMA fighters uh, are sensitive and, and I've been sensitive in the past. I've never, yeah. Yeah. you know, you know, th th that happens. We can, it can get the best of us. But to go up to one of the commentators and say something like that, I think uh, is, is oh. unnecessary. Yeah, it seemed pretty classless to me, but uh, it is what it is. And uh, I've always had a good relationship or so I thought with Joey Rod. So I was a little bit caught off guard by it. And I am sensitive to it because it is the number one thing that we're trying to avoid. So hopefully we can get yeah. some clarity as to exactly what they are talking about. Quick technical thing on Shane Burgos. I do believe he's a five-round fighter. I think he's exceedingly hard to put away. Calvin Cater's the only guy that's been able to get him out of there. Emmett did everything he could but wasn't able to put him away. Do you think Burgos has to change his stripes at all? Because people are calling for him to glue that left hand to his chin, and he's just not going to do it. The way he likes to fight at times is with his hands down. I think he has a very effective style. I do believe on any given Saturday night he can be one of the best featherweights in the world. Um, but from a judging perspective, you know, they saw him get hit with a lot of crisp shots, and uh, they did not see this fight for him, obviously. Well, I think that that's a part of the problem. Listen, I think what makes Burgos – um, such a excellent fighter is the fact that he is very aggressive and he brings the fight to his opponents. The problem is, is that he's not utilizing his physical ability to the, to, to his maximum uh, capacity. I think, you know, as a, a guy who's a rangier fighter um, and, and a guy who moves well, he should be the slicker fighter out there. Um, Emmett is one of those guys who is a bruiser. He's a brawler. He can play that game for Burgos. I was surprised that, you know, he hasn't adapted a style to be more slick, to be more evasive, to be more elusive, uh, to stick and move, uh, to utilize his range to the, to the best of his ability. But if you're moving forward and, and hanging out in the pocket, then you're not taking advantage of the fact that you're the longer fighter out there. And yes, right. you do have this awesome chin, but we know, John, uh, that could be the case this fight and that could be completely gone in the next fight. You cannot take damage like that. So I think for Burgos, um, he needs to understand that it, it is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And yeah. if he wants to have a long career in the UFC at the highest level, he has to be more elusive. And it's not like he's not capable uh, of being slick. This is a very good athlete right, right. Uh, and a smart kid as well. So he just has to be a little bit, um, I think, smarter in his approach and how he how he goes about it, especially now that he's in that elite 10, uh, you know, top 10, at least close to that, um, you know, as he as he is in the featherweight division.
Right. No, that you put that beautifully. And I think his style is such that there are going to be people who are going to want to fight him and certainly people who are going to want to see him fight. But he was absolutely devastated after the fact because Mm. he's not a bonus guy. He's a win guy. You know, like Bruce Buffer said to him after the fact, oh, you got the 50K, but he's a W guy. He doesn't care about the bonus. And I know people get sick of me saying this, but if you're Shane Burgos thinking two 2021, I'm going to get my title shot. This ends up being like a two-year setback, at least as far as his championship trajectory is concerned. So uh, we'll see where Burgos goes, praying for health for Josh Emmett, because that dude is must-see TV and, and certainly packs a lot of heat behind everything that he's throwing. All right, plenty more coming up on UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov. But listen up, fellas, because today we got a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. So take a look in the mirror. I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven area down there with that lawnmower 3.0. Now, it's well-documented on this program, Ken Flo. We have both had our noses waxed. I've had it done professionally. You've done it at home. It's not pleasant. It feels like they're ripping your nose off your face. But now Manscaped. Manscaped changing the grooming game again with this weed whacker, just like the lawnmower proprietary skin safe technology helps prevent nicks, snags and tugs in those delicate holes. Intelligent contour design enhances the trimming experience. It's also waterproof, which makes for easy operation and cleaning. Manscaped making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while also providing hygiene. And folks, 79 percent of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker. So for listeners of the Anakin Florian podcast, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code AF at manscaped.com right now. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code AF. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds. All right, let's get to Ray Longo and the Ray Longo Minute. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So when you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel a touch overwhelmed. Perhaps you're not showing up the way that you would like to. I can certainly relate. You know, there's a phrase in the song, there's no business like show business, and it says there's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. And for me, being in the public eye has been challenging, at least in terms of always projecting happiness when perhaps that's not how I'm feeling. Well, whatever your situation, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws your way. For me, it's imperative that I'm my best self in order to just perform at a high level. And when I don't feel that way, BetterHelp is a great option and a great resource for therapy. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. That gets you matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch out anytime for no additional charge if you're not happy. For me, I'm on the road about 100 nights a year, so being able to connect with someone remotely was absolutely huge for me. And my mindset really candidly has changed for the better. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Florian today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Florian. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Always a pleasure to be joined by the great Raymond Peter Longo, who has gone away with the hat this week so we can see that beautiful dark brown lettuce in all its glory. My word. Yeah, we're just going to, you know, I think we're going to cut it now. I Frivola, I, you know, I, I'm so mad that Frivola didn't get the fight. We had a, another huge parade. I thought and, you might uh, have it. Yeah. Had a just had a sympathy for that whole thing i i shaved my grub off 
but I left the hair. So <laughs> another another week, another week, and I cleaned up, Penny. And, and that's not a halo over. I mean, that's not a light <laughs> over his head. That's a halo. Yeah. There was no light in that office. It's, 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 it's the angels are singing over his hair. <laughs> you like how I position that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. So. Word came down middle of the week uh, that Matt Frivola was out of his fight with Frank Camacho. It was a fight that a lot of people were looking forward to. And, of course, you saw Justin Janes go out and knock out Frank Camacho. So that probably was hard for Matt Frivola to watch. But a guy who we all absolutely love, Billy Corantello, uh, who had fought on May 30th, who was there to corner Matt Frivola, tested positive twice for COVID-19. And so Frivola, despite two negative tests, was not able to compete. Man, you got to feel for Frivola, man. I mean, he's had a couple fights go away now, Ray, since COVID intervened. And uh, he's a good dude who deserves to continue his momentum. But these circumstances keep getting in the way. Yeah, no, that was a horrible thing. And, you know, I spoke to both of those guys. And Billy was, he felt great. He, listen, the kid fought two weeks ago. Then he trained with Frivola for this fight. So whether he has it or he doesn't have it or, you know, he tested, he, he said definitely felt great and it didn't affect his training at all. So I don't know. I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions about all of this stuff, but hope we get to the bottom of it, you know, sooner rather than later. And just unfortunate. Cause again, he, you know, he kind of moved his camp to Florida just so he could train. Cause they had, you know, a little less restricted than we were. Right. And he did everything he could. He wanted that fight. He wanted, you know, any fight, to be honest with you. And just kind of, you know, that shit sucks, man. We got the word. His father called me, I think, Thursday night. Uh, and he yeah. thought it was going to happen. I think one a couple of doctors said it was okay. And then I guess they had to reach out to somebody else and they squashed it. So unfortunate, but I'm sure he'll be back. And, you know, look, after looking at that too, hats off to uh, James for jumping in there and Seizing the opportunity, I think that would have been a great fight for Favola. And, man, we could have had the hat trick. That's what I'm thinking. I know, I know. That's what I'm thinking, man. Three in a row, that would have been great. You know, Kenny, I had the, I, troop, I had the I, troops all lined up, and I had to cut them short right at the end. Right, yeah. Horrible. Parade canceled, man. Yeah. Kenny, I feel badly for Favola, of course, but I feel really badly for Billy Q. I mean, could you yeah. imagine in your career, Kenny, if in this climate you prepare for a fight – and everybody feels great, and Keith is asymptomatic, and he pops, and so you can't fight. I, right. I just feel for Billy, and you know Frivola is such a good dude. He's not going to make him feel bad, but I just think for Billy, this had to be a really tough few days to deal with this. Absolutely. It, it, he must feel you know terrible about it. Um, you know, and, and I think the big thing on that is that you know, if you do have it and you're not showing symptoms, they still haven't confirmed. And, and the experts still don't know whether you can actually give it to someone or not. It, right. it seems like you can't. But um, obviously, the UFC taking uh, the right precautions, just making sure uh, that, yeah. you know, Matt and everybody else uh, around uh, Billy is safe. And um, it, it's unfortunate, man. You, you know, these fighters put in so much work to get ready for a fight, especially during these crazy times. And uh, to get all the way to, to fight week and not be able to compete, it's a, it's a tough one for everybody involved. And I, right. I got to say, the other thing is, man, then they, you know, you got to get quarantined for another two right. weeks. You could, I mean, I'd lose my shit at that point. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I decide to go back, you know, and this, this type of shit drives me nuts, I, mean, I definitely can't afford to be hanging out anywhere for two weeks, for sure. Right. And, uh, I mean, I guess the thing to do is to get tested right before you go, even, you know, wherever you're living, right, just so right. you know that you're negative. So that doesn't happen. Mm, right. And I guess the other thing is don't travel, travel with your corner, man. Everybody just split up. So because I'm saying if he's not with Billy Q, he's fighting. Right. 
most right. likely, I think. I think the fact that he was traveling with him uh, as one of his corners, that's what that that was the problem. I, I right. think. I don't even know, but yeah. Uh, so, hats off to the hats off to the UFC for error on the side of you know safety also. I mean, UFC's I done important. a great job. UFC's done a great huge. job here in Vegas, man. I'm yeah. telling you. I mean, so it's so buttoned yeah. up. I'm still here. Everybody has left. All the new fighters are going to come in tomorrow. It is a ghost town right now. It's a little bit eerie being here at the host hotel by myself. Hey, Ray, speaking of losing your shit, uh, are you keeping your shit together these days? Because uh, <laughs> for me, things have changed. Like my wife's going crazy at home with three kids, but now I've had the chance to leave three times extendedly every time. How are you doing in terms of the day-to-day just dealing with the uh, the limitations? No, I think, you know, look, I'm uh... – Honestly, at this point, you know, I don't it's I just go down to the gym by myself, me and another person. So I get my workouts in. We're very, very safe. Um, anything. I have a face shield. If I do anything with anybody, right. I put the face shield on. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting back to normal. It looks like the beginning of July we're opening up. So, we're, oh, wow. uh, you know, we're cleaning the gym. We had that service come in to, uh, you know, clean the whole gym out for the covid and uh, which was uh, which was a nice service somebody actually donated to us, and that that's it. You know, I'm just, no, I'm doing pretty good. I feel good. like I'm kind of back to normal. I got a good. bicycle, so I started riding. You know what I mean? You so look good. I mean, when you get a haircut, it's gonna look like you lost like seven pounds too. You I, look good. I, I think that's what I'm looking for. I think that's the exact effect I'm looking for, John. That's why uh, I shave my head every four days. You know? <laughs> uh, black, all right, shirt, black t-shirts and haircuts, Dre. That's what <laughs> that's the key. Yeah, that, yeah. I like it. I think I, that's what I'm down to now. I, that's that's the way I lose weight: black t-shirts and haircuts. A couple other performances I want to get to, and, and with Bobby Green's win over Clay Guida, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to the fight, but I think a lot of people are focusing, and rightfully so, on his powerful post-fight interview with Heidi Andrel when he brought in his father figure, Jacob Benny, who's his head coach and has done so much for him. So first I'll say... I'm happy that the judges saw that fight for Bobby Green because I did too. He had one win since 2014, despite recent performances against guys like Dracar Close and Francisco Trinaldo that were actually very good and he was not rewarded for. So a big night for Bobby Green and an emotional, powerful message coming out of King Green after the fact, Ray. Yeah, listen, man, I love uh, Clay Guida. I think he's a class act, always liked him, got a great family, met his mom and dad and you know, he's just a good dude. That, But Bobby Green, I think, after watching his post-fight speech, he had to win that fight because that was the time to deliver that speech. And as much as I, you know, I like Clay and everything, I think it was great that he won. And I only met Bobby once. Seems like a cool dude, but I'll always be a fan of his now. I thought he knocked it out of the park, bringing in his father, who was white, in a time like this where it yeah. looks like we're, they're, they're, somebody's trying to just divide us as much as possible. This was a great, great thing, and it's really that simple, man. There's good people out there. It has nothing to do with color. I don't want to get in. I'm not, I'm not going to go off on a rant on this, but I was so taken back when I saw Bobby Green and his dad in there. I was like, wow, this is really good, and it's that simple, man, because I'll tell you, you go to CNN or Fox, you will get your brain scrambled listening to these people bullshitting yeah. and lying. Yeah. You don't know what's true, but that's true. That's real. That was real, and I think I will always be a fan of that guy's moving forward. I mean, not that I wasn't before. I only met him once. He seemed like a good guy. But I got to tell you, I thought he knocked it out of the park, and I thought he made a, a statement that everybody could learn from, man. 
Yeah. Bobby Green's the fucking man. Like, if you don't know his backstory, you may want to go Google him, right? Foster care, bouncing in and around, no great support system. You know, I believe right now he has three kids with three different women, and he's navigating that whole circumstance as well. But his oldest son, Jeremiah, was the impetus for his fighting career. And now the guy's got 25 pro wins, but he's just a really good dude and uh, was really happy for him. Speaking of good dudes, Ray and Kenny, uh, how about Jim Miller? I do want to get Kenny's thoughts on on Roosevelt Roberts is maybe grappling shortcomings defensively in the fight, of course, because I know Kenny watches the grappling as intimately as anybody. But how about fucking Jim Miller? 35 UFC fights. He's never fought for the belt, but I, I think you're going to have no choice but to put the guy in the Hall of Fame. Top three in terms of wins and seems to have found a good recipe, Ray, with medication and supplements to combat the Lyme disease. He looks better than ever. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know where to start, Kenny, but I, I got to tell you. Hats off to Jim Miller. He's that guy's a fucking legend. He really is. And he's an unknown legend. It's, it's, he doesn't, I don't yeah. think, get really like the, the way we're talking about him now. I think it should be done more. But obviously, if you ever met him, just a down to earth, grassroots type of guy. And man, I tell you, it looks like, again, that Lyme disease was no joke. But he looks like he's got that beat. He's in a great spot. He's getting up there in age. But I'm going to tell you something, man. He took out a young guy that's an up-and-comer, or at least thought a guy who thought he he, he himself was an up-and-comer. Right. And he kind of made that look easy. And, uh, man, I got to tell you, man, I, I don't even know where to start with him. I think, like, again, he's one of those guys that doesn't get the credit that he's really due. I yeah. Mean, I don't think there's any stop in sight for him. I, that didn't look like it for me. And he'll fight any – he's fought everybody. So there's – He's literally uh, fought everybody in that division. Kenny, you picked him as a plus – 200 underdog it was a four yeah. point hit for you in our main event challenge um your thoughts on miller and if you got anything on, on roberts in defeat we'll take that as well you know jim miller is one of those guys who was most dangerous uh when you underestimate him and he's been around forever he is uh always a threat on the ground in the way that he matched up against roberts i thought uh was why i picked him i, I thought that he was the better grappler i, I thought that you know, Roosevelt Roberts is a decent striker, but he's not one of those guys that really is going to be that big of a threat against someone like Jim Miller. Jim Miller has so much experience um, and, you know, dealing with everything that he's dealt with, uh, coming back from all that adversity that he's dealt with in his life. Um, I, I just felt like the time was now and uh, Jim was able to pull it off. He's an absolute treasure. He's one of those guys that has done things the right way um and people aren't talking about jim miller because jim miller doesn't talk about right. jim miller right. Right. he goes out there and he fights it doesn't matter win or lose he gives a hundred percent how can you not love someone like jim miller it was awesome to see him get the win well really well said and i gotta tell you he looks great and he's been in some big fights he's been in some wars this guy looks he looks awesome what is he 36 now I think he's 36, 37. I mean, he looks phenomenal. He's just like, and I, and I, I and again, Kenny, you hit on something which I love. You don't hear about him because he doesn't talk about himself. Unlike Roosevelt Roberts, who does talk about himself a lot. So <laughs> I, I think that'll be a learning lesson for him. I mean, all, yeah. all, every time the guy wins a fight, he calls out Travola. I don't even get it. Like, what right. do you got? Right. Travola right. doesn't, Travola doesn't say a word about anything. I never see yeah. the guy on social media he doesn't talk shit. This guy, every time he wins a fight, he's, he's looking for Matt Frivola. It is you know interesting what? that that's always now the name on this. Now maybe thinking about Frivoli overlooked Jim Miller, and uh, you got your arm snapped. And he got yeah. it snapped, too, because I don't even think uh, – I don't know. I mean, he just 
that didn't that was slick. Yeah, that was slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he 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 got his arm hurt for sure. All right, last thing, Ray, before I let you go, and certainly we want to get Ken Flo's thoughts on this as well. The first fight of the night. Max Roshkoff undefeated at 5-0, and making his UFC debut on short notice, taking on Austin Hubbard, far more UFC tested, far more experienced, comes from a great camp, elevation fight team. So I think most of the people who are listening to this podcast know what happened at the end of the second round. Roshkoff told his chief quarter, Robert Drysdale, that he was done. And Robert, I thought, I thought did a really good job, Kenny and Ray, if I'm being honest. I thought he was patient. I thought his tone was effective. I thought he didn't overreact right away. I thought Drysdale was collected and trying to maintain the mental of his athlete who seemingly would regret this half an hour later, right? And I think he was trying to keep him in the fight. I mean, there's so many different angles to this. I'm going to try to set it up as efficiently as possible. But because there was no crowd, Ray, Mark Smith, the referee, was able to hear this interaction between coach and fighter. So he went over, asked Roshkoff if he wanted to continue. Max said no, and the doctor was there, and they called off the fight. Now, this isn't comparative to a lot of recent situations involving Anthony Smith and Tony Ferguson where guys were taking an absolute beating. Um... But there's a lot to unpack here, Ray. What was your thought on Drysdale in the corner and overall what he should or shouldn't have done in that situation? Uh, no, I think uh, Drysdale did the right thing. Look, the thing everybody has to understand, there's a relationship between a fighter right, and his coach. So we don't know what that relationship is. You know, I got to tell you, five fights, really not a lot of fights. So, you know, I don't know if you really know the guy yet. But and they probably never hit adversity like that. But that was a big platform to throw that kid into. That's the first thing. You know what I mean? After five fights, if you're not a special guy, that could be a big mistake. But I thought Drysdale handled it. But we don't know the relationship. We don't know if he's done that to him in sparring. We don't know if this guy's felt like quitting before. We don't know if we could trust what he says. Does he, you know, get out of workouts because say my my leg hurts and you know right. it doesn't. You know what I mean? We don't really know a lot of stuff, but. I think that kid made it pretty evident and pretty clear that he wanted out of that fight. I mean, and look, if he would have said, look, I broke my shin, I can't walk, I'm out, everybody's fine. You know, I think he maybe needed to express himself maybe a little more and say, look, man, I just, I'm having a panic attack. I'm the anxiety's overwhelming. I can't go out there. I'm frozen, you know, something. And I think everybody, uh, you know, would empathize with what, what he was going through. But it's a, it's definitely a shitty position for both guys, I think. I think, like, again, Drysdale didn't seem like he, you know, like, what I look for in those things, Kenny, is is the corner guy invested in himself or the fighter. You know what I mean? Like, do you want, does he not want to look bad? Right. Or is it all about the fighter? And I thought Drysdale did a good job. He seemed like he was caring. Yeah. He wanted to give the guy just enough opportunities, you sure, you know, like, so I thought he did the right job. But at the end of the day, the fighter really made that call and just, you know, he wasn't even being persuaded one iota of whatever anybody was saying. He wanted out of there. And I, I hope the guy's all right, because, again, that was a big platform to be thrown into. And we don't know where he was. Only two guys know him and his trainer. Kenny, very quickly, I just want to provide a little bit of background, and yeah. then I'll let you have as much time as you want. So Roshkoff was about a two-to-one favorite over Austin Hubbard, had a lot of hype. He had a very challenging upbringing. He was an ACC wrestling champion at NC State. So there certainly are some chops, right, some wrestling chops, but obviously didn't have a lot of UFC experience, Kenny. The other thing I just want to say before I pass the baton, 
you've seen some journalists like Luke Thomas come out and just talk about just plain and simply a corner man's obligation to protect a fighter. We've heard the Nevada State Athletic Commission might investigate Robert Drysdale for maybe a lack of protection here, even though I would vehemently defend his actions. Overall thoughts on what we saw in the first fight of the night? Yeah, I'm glad you you, you brought up uh, you know Luke Thomas. I, I think uh, Luke is a, is a smart guy, and you know, not all fights you, you can't treat all of those instances the same. And typically, I'm always going to lead toward you know lean towards the fighter. If the fighter doesn't want to fight, okay, that's fine. But who knows that fighter better than anybody else? The coach. And just like Ray said, that relationship is huge. You've seen this guy in the gym. You've seen the guy out of the gym. You know his mentality. You know what he can do. And let's look at the fight itself. For me, I don't care what the judges said. I thought Max won that first round, okay? He got him on the ground. He had him in uh, some situations where it looked like he was close to a submission. He had him in that saddle position with both legs tied up, didn't finish properly. Okay, whatever. He won that first round, in my opinion. The second round, he definitely lost. There was a combination. There was a one-two that looked like it hurt Max at one point. A couple other shots that were decent. But was he getting absolutely murdered? I mean, was he just like getting rocked, getting knocked down repeatedly, couldn't see out of his eyes, was limping or any way, shape or form? No, I didn't see that. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't hurt. But now we also have to go back to the corner instances, that exchange with Robert Drysdale. He didn't say that he was hurt. He didn't say that he couldn't see. He didn't say that he was dizzy. He didn't say that he was limping. To me, that was a mental issue. That was a mental hurdle that he needed to get over. And what did Robert Drysdale do? He tried to get him out of that. He tried to say, hey, listen, man, you can do this. You go out there. You take him down. You you relax on the takedowns. Control the position. Don't go nuts trying to submit him like a crazy man like you did in the first round. You know, that's probably what should have been said. But he said, listen, you go out. You take him down. You win the fight. You know, because, again, I thought he won the the round one as well. Right. So. I think this is a kid who is talented. And a lot of times when you have talent and you beat a bunch of people up in the gym and you're 5-0 and and you're, you're, beating, you're having these easy fights, you don't know what it's like to encounter that kind of adversity. And he experienced that for the first time in the UFC. Right, right. In right. the UFC. And right. now there's some other you know, talk about uh, the fact that he might, have an, he might have had an injury heading into this fight. So he hasn't really encountered much adversity as far as in the in the cage okay it was his sixth fight overall he may have had an injury he took the fight on like what five or ten days notice or something or whatever it was uh that's not a whole lot of time that that's a that's a lot to deal with being a young fighter uh coming into this and a lot of times you know we think we do a a lot of good in telling people hey you're going to be the next thing and you're the prodigy and you're amazing and you're the greatest thing to ever come into this gym and you build them up, and now, you know, they, they have this false sense of security. They think they're invincible, and then they experience that, and they go, oh, shit, maybe I'm not the thing. Maybe I'm not this talented guy that I'm supposed to deal with. So I thought Drysdale did the right thing. Now, on the eighth, ninth time that your fighter is telling you right. he wants to give up, maybe maybe you should let go because right. at this point, this is when you find out if that kid's a fighter or not. I'm not saying he isn't. Right. Because he could still come back and go, hey, listen, I made a I made a I made a mistake. I am a fighter. I know I could get through this. I just didn't experience that before. OK, that's a different st- that's a different story. Yeah. I you know whether he can come back from this. I don't know. I don't know, Max. Right. 
Drysdale knows him better than anybody who's making any of these assessments yeah. in the media. Yeah. So I, I think that's on Drysdale to do that. If if I know a fighter's just kind of a little bit of a quitter, he's got talent, but he doesn't have the heart, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? You're done. Uh, maybe this isn't for you. But if you've seen him in the gym and you know what he's capable of and, and you know, you, you've seen him come back and you know what he's dealt with in his life or whatever – you got to push your fighter on. That that's also your job. Yes, you're as a cornerman, you want to protect your fighter, but also your job is to buoy your fighter and yes. give him the confidence to keep going on. So you can't ignore that. Yep. Yeah. And hey, I got to, you bring up a good thing, Kenny. Too. I'm going to tell you something. Honestly, I didn't see the second round, but I was confused. I had I just went back and looked at the, the stuff in the corner, but that first round, he unequivocally won. To me, I it was thought a good so too. Tonight. Yeah. I thought he was dominating that round. When I yep. heard he, he was down two, I wasn't even sure they were talking about the same fight. Right. Because I hadn't seen the second round. So I I agree with everything Kenny says. I really do. The judges I, I the judges were off, by the way. Uh, just to go yeah. back on uh, a complete that, different that, tangent. The no judges were off that night. Yeah, no, he, he did not no lose that round. That first round. No, no way. way. So he did say on the stool, you know, this kid hits hard. And I do think he intimated like, I'm just, this isn't for me or I don't want to do this. So it will be interesting to see if Max Roshkoff resumes his career because I think he will. And I do think he has a lot to offer and he has potential. And I think he can realize success. Um, but yeah, I do believe that there are a lot of people out there trying to simplify what is inherently a pretty complicated issue. And however you feel about Robin Black, I would encourage you to go seek out his YouTube video because he has studied the brain extensively. And Ken Flo takes a scientific approach to a lot of these conversations as well. And sometimes it really is just a matter of trying to get your athlete over the mental hurdle. And I'll be honest with you, when I was outside fucking running this morning, you know, at altitude in the Vegas heat, I was thinking about that a little bit. Like, can you push yourself a little bit more you fucking pussy and uh i quit right in that moment i decided <laughs> uh, running is not for you john yeah, you know it's, it's you simple. Uh, all right hey ray uh always good to see you my man and uh unless you got anything else uh we're gonna make some picks for uh poirier and hooker who do you like this weekend dustin and dan hooker huh Woo. oh man that's a really tough fight i, I think so know. too uh so I, I'm, I'm gonna. I think I'm leaning towards Hooker in that fight. Well, lean towards I, the underdog. All right, at Ray Longo MMA. What underdog is he, John? He's like plus 180 or so. I think oh, the line wow, so is wide, wider than it should be. So, um, all right, my man, Ray Longo MMA on Instagram. Appreciate your time as always, sir. We'll talk to you next Monday, okay? All right, guys. Thanks for everything. Enjoy. All right, there he is, Ray Longo, every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Before we get to the main event challenge, Kenny, I just wanted to acknowledge Raquel Pennington and Tisha Torres. Rock NATO getting it done in a big way. I don't even know if you saw the Tisha Torres fight, but she started her UFC career six and one, right? She was six and five entering the octagon this weekend. She had lost four in a row, all to elite competition. She had been competitive at times, but her last fight against Marina Rodriguez, she was self-admittedly just listless. She thought fighting in this environment without a crowd would make it feel like a competitive sparring session. And this is the tiny tornado that people thought was going to realize UFC greatness. When she's just fighting with reckless abandon and letting it go, I know she was fighting somebody size-wise who was more on her level. I thought Tisha looked phenomenal. 
She did. She looked great. And not to mention, I thought she actually lost the first round. So the fact that she was able to yes. get it together, readjust against a tough Van Buren, I, I thought was tremendous. Tisha really does have a lot of potential. The way she moves, the way she mixes things up. And even still, I think there's even more potential. I think she could have even done an even better job overall. Um, and, and Tisha can definitely get back to the top. I, I think as far as you know, um, how she mixes things in and, and, and the different type of adjustments she can make in each modality. But um, I, I thought Tisha looked great. It was good to see her get, her, get the win because uh, Van Buren's tough, man. And she yeah. really needed this win. She really did. Yeah. And Raquel Pennington's a friend of mine, and I got to spend some time with her in the casino after the Holly Holm loss, and she was so upset. So really happy for her. Yes. Who she's so hard on herself. So to be able to turn in that type of performance against Mari and Renault, and and don't look now, but Lauren Murphy has all of a sudden won three in a row at 125 pounds, and she's just a really good person, and I'm very happy for her. Um, and she's also strong and really fucking well rounded at 125 pounds. I know we put Valentina Shevchenko on a pedestal, and rightfully so, but. Uh, I think Lauren Murphy, it stands to reason, could be more competitive than some previous flyweight uh, title challengers have been. All right. Today's main event challenge brought to you by OddShark.com. OddShark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. So head over to OddShark.com and start playing like a shark today. OddShark.com. Don't forget the second S. All right, it was a big weekend for our handicappers, Ken Flo and Ian Parker. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, and with that, we now welcome in the duck on social media at Ian Parker MMA. Good week for both of you guys. So Team Florian, courtesy of a big hit on Jim Miller, wins the week 8-7. You both had Josh Emmett as an underdog, but Ian had him by decision. So as a result, that becomes a four-point hit for Ian and and saved Team Anik a little bit. So the lead is now 67-62. We spin it forward to UFC Fight Night, Poirier versus Hooker. I can't wait for this main event. We got four picks overall. We will start in the heavyweight division. Ian, I know you go way back with John Vellante. He moves up here. He is a plus-185 underdog against the minus-225 favorite, the crochet boss, Maurice Green. So Green's dropped two straight after starting 3-0 and in the UFC. Ian, what do you think about Vellante moving on up here against Mo Green? If John can get, when John was coming up in the ring of honor, he was known more for setting up these high kicks into his wrestling and his slams were devastating. His athleticism was really what separated. He was a dual champ, you know, in both 205 and at heavyweight in the ring of, uh, sorry, in the ring of combat. And, you know, obviously over the years, he's kind of become a little bit of a brawler. You know, I think in a situation like this, that's not a good idea when going against these heavyweights. Um, and I don't know if he'll be able to utilize his wrestling that well against a guy in Mo Green. So as much as I hate to do this, uh, I, I uh, <laughs> the crochet boss, outside of that nickname, I think he's due for one. I think this is a good matchup to get him back on track. So as much as it breaks my heart, I'm going with Mo Green here. All right, Ian Parker likes the favorite, the crochet boss, Maurice Green. Ken Flo's smiling about something. <laughs> well, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a brawler. I mean, he's yeah. It's it's all he does now, John Vellante. He's a lot of nice. a lot nice. of a bit. Yeah, a lot of bit of a brawler. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, no, it's it's crazy. And but here's the thing, 
it, it's also what makes him dangerous in this fight against Maurice Green. You know, he's throwing the dice. It's not the guy that you really want to gamble on too much, but um, I think it does give him a shot against Maurice Green. I, I do think he could get the knockout win. I, I think he might be the faster guy out there, um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do agree with Ian, though, in that uh, I would like to see him mix things up with his takedowns, hit a couple takedowns, put some guys right, on, on right. their backs, you know, give yourself a rest, give your chin a rest, uh, a rest once every once in a while. Um, this is a close one. I, I, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I wasn't really sure who I was going to pick heading into this right now. I am leading towards Maurice green. Uh, but I do reserve the right to change my, my pick yet again, later in the week. Right. And to that end, I should point out that Ian Parker changed his, his pick from Marion Renault to Raquel Pennington and Ken Flo changed his pick from Lyman good to Bala Muhammad during fight week based upon things they saw or heard. Uh, so I just want to point that out. Absolutely. You guys can still do that. John Vellante too. I just want to point out one of the best football players to ever grace the octagon. I mean, five star recruit at Hofstra could have played in the NFL potentially if, if uh, maybe it went a little bit better uh, with that initial tryout. He'll be 35 in August, fought 15 times at 205 pounds in the UFC and went seven and eight. So we'll see if he can level that UFC record at 500 and upset Maurice Green. All right, next up at middleweight, I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about this one because it was supposed to be the quick turn for Ian Heinish against Rufus Sports, Brandon Allen Allen. Instead, it's going to be the undefeated UFC newcomer, Kyle Dawkins out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Dawkins plus 220. Allen 14 and three overall. He's two and zero oh in the UFC though with a couple of finishes, Ian. What do you think about Brendan Allen minus 260 this weekend against the undefeated newcomer, Dawkins? Bilal is not on the line, correct? Bilal no, Muhammad is not on the line. No, I know. Him and Brendan, no, I was making a joke. Uh, listen, I, I think Brendan Allen is the real deal. I think he's a legit prospect. You know, um, a lot of people had Kevin Holland in that fight. I didn't. I chose Allen there. I think the way he puts it all together, he's a, he's big, he seems pretty big for this weight. And he's, he, he's, uh, he's one of these guys that just, again, doesn't try to get away from what got him here. You know, he knows to get the fight to the ground. He knows the submissions that work for him. He sets them up, even though you know what's coming. Somehow it still makes it work. I think for a, uh, a kid in Kyle, a short notice fight, I think this is a tough one for him. And we're kind of seeing with prospects taking short notice fights, either you got to knock him out like James did, or you might be in for a rude awakening on this level. I like Brendan Allen here. All right. Another favorite chalk selection for Ian Parker. So Dawkins, Kenny, I don't know if he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu wizard, right? But he's 9-0. He's got five darts choke wins as a pro, including his last two. But he's taken on a credential Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt here in Brendan Allen. Your thoughts on Dawkins and Allen here in a featured bout at 185 pounds? Yeah, and I think it's a different level, you know, uh, for sure. I think Dawkins could potentially get it done. But I, I think uh, Allen is... Um, a guy who really goes out there, utilizes the right tactics. He's smart. He doesn't, um, you know, get out of what he does well, like like yeah. Ian said. And uh, I think Allen should get the win. Yeah, I'm excited to see Dawkins fight live for the first time. But Brendan Allen is really, really good. And you guys hit on a lot of points when it comes to uh, B.A. All right, co-main event. We'll need the round. We'll need the method of victory here. You got Platinum Mike Perry minus 280. Mickey Gall plus 240. So I'm going to know a lot more about what, Mike Perry's new look training looks like when I sit down with him on Thursday. So we don't know a lot about Mike Perry's preparation. Uh, he's six and six in the UFC. Mickey Gall is the plus 240 underdog here. He hasn't fought the killers or anywhere close to the strength of schedule that Mike Perry has fought, but 
he's carved out a little nice career, has Gall. He's 28 years old, Ian. He's 5-2 and two in the UFC. Co-main event, Mike Perry, Mickey Gall. Ian, which way are you going? I just want to let the listeners know that even if you listen to this, you got to watch this video because behind John is a picture of him and Kenny fucking mean mugging me. While I'm trying oh. to it, it's such a dude, solid green screen. Well, well played. I'll tell you. So normally I don't blur the background, but I'm in this hotel in Vegas, this fucking residence in that I'm going to be at for like 13 nights. And it just looks like fucking garbage behind me. So I figured I'd put up the picture of me and Kempfo looking about as tough as we've ever looked. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. I feel like I've, I give the wrong answer from Kenny. John's <laughs> picture of himself is going to punch me right after. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so... <laughs> Honestly, th- this fight really confuses me. It's striker versus grappler here, 100%. But Mike Perry throws me off. You know, there's a lot of fights where he goes in there and he does surprisingly well. But then, like, this whole training regiment, you know, he's obviously with some new girl, and his Instagram is all about this girl and providing a life for this girl. And he's all I've seen him do is hit one heavy bag. And I've seen a video of that scratch on his head, bloody knuckles, and then I heard that's a video from a little while ago, and I don't know if he's fighting windows, breaking glass. The dude's a fucking nut job, but he's hilarious. Um, yeah. I'm going to roll the dice here, though, on Mickey Gall. I think Mickey Gall is a smart fighter. I don't, I don't think he's going to want to brawl with Mike Perry. I think he knows that. He comes from a really good training camp, and we know for a fact that he's actually in a training camp with human beings compared to Mike Perry. We don't know what planet he's even on right now. I think if Mickey Gall could just bum rush him, get him against the cage, and take him down... game over, you know? Um, Perry's not as bad at grappling. I mean, if you watched him against Ali Quinta, he did a pretty good job in that submission match. But I'm going to roll a dice here. Plus 240 when you got a grappler and Mickey Gall just seems too good for me. So I'm going to go Mickey Gall by submission round two. All right, round two submission for Mickey Gall is the pick. That's right, Kenny. That's right, Kenny. I chose the jiu-jitsu guy. Mike Perry's last two fights, Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque. He fought Luque super tough. A lot of people felt like he won that fight, then got stopped by Jeff Neal last December at UFC 245. Last win for Platinum Mike Perry, April 2019 against Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Gall is starting to evolve. There's no doubt the fight IQ has improved. Kenny, what do you think about Mickey Gall here against Platinum Mike Perry? You know, I, I just think that Mike Perry has faced tougher competition um, than Mickey Gall. I, I don't think Mickey Gall um, is that good of a grappler to be honest i don't think he has the kind of wrestling that can take someone like mike perry down repeatedly um if he's going to get it done i I think i give him a shot maybe in the first round where he's got a bunch of energy and he can mix it mix it up um he should be the taller rangier fighter out there but i think mike perry's going to find a way to get on the inside and land some big shots um I think uh, Perry probably catches him in and around maybe uh, the second round and gets a TKO win. All right, TKO for Mike Perry in round two, the pick to click for Ken Flo. So we shall see how that co-main event plays out and if Ian stays with Mickey Gall or changes his fucking selection late in the week. All right, main event. Two top lightweight contenders here, boys. Dustin Poirier, the modest 220 favorite. Dan Hooker comes back at plus 180. We'll need the round, the method, and we're going to have Ken Flo lead the main event here. I'm just going to set it up a little bit. So since 2017, guys, Dan Hooker has won seven of eight. He knocked out Gilbert Burns viciously in July of 2018. Burns has reeled off six straight since and is fighting for the welterweight title. Now, it didn't go so well for Hooker when he called out Edson Barboza, but since that loss, he's picked up where he left off. He's won three straight again. That included a main event against Felder back in February. I think the line is wider than it should be when I look at Dan Hooker at plus 180. Longo picked Hooker to win, Kenny. 
What are your thoughts on Hooker in this spot against the obviously credentialed 17-time UFC winner, Dustin Poirier? Not a clue. I have no <laughs> clue what's going to happen. No, I, uh, you know, th- this is a tough one, man. Dustin Poirier has a ton of experience, especially in, in that main event spot. Um, so, you know, for Dan Hooker, I, I like the fact that he's going to be the taller, rangier fighter. I think he learned a ton uh, against his last fight against Paul Felder. Um, and I think that's going to serve him well in this one against Poirier, um, who I think is a, a guy who has been in a lot of tough fights himself. Um, I think that tends to start to wear on you right about this time. Um, Poirier, of course, no shame in coming off a loss against someone like a Habib Nurmagomedov. Uh, but um, Dustin is tough as hell. I think he's the better grappler. I would like to see Dustin Poirier try to take Dan Hooker down. Um, I don't think it's going to be that easy of a thing uh, against Dan Hooker, who I think will be moving laterally a lot in this fight, or at least should be looking to stick and move and circle uh, a lot, utilize his leg game, utilize that long range. Um, And Dustin also needs to be careful shooting in with those knees. Um, I I think Dustin's best best path to victory is mixing mixing things up. I can't talk today. Uh, and looking for a takedown up against the cage and getting on top and, and trying to slow Hooker down. I don't think that's going to happen. I see Dan Hooker getting the win here. Um, I'm going to go with a third-round TKO, Dan Hooker. Third-round TKO for the underdog, Dan Hooker. Ken Flo has been outstanding with underdog selections here in 2020. All right, Ian, former interim champion Dustin Poirier, his stoppage of Justin Gaethje, one of several signature wins. Now, there were people even in his camp that thought he was biting off more than he could chew after the war with Max Holloway in April of 2019 and then the quick turn to fight Khabib in September. So I don't believe the circumstances were ideal for Dustin going into that unification bout. I think Ken Flo hits on a lot of truths when it comes to the miles on the tank of Dustin Poirier but I think there's a lot of value in the fact that he hasn't fought since last September and he has now had nine months to recover and rebuild give us your thoughts on the main event Ian Parker ultimately with a selection please where's your boy Dominic Cruz when you need him on my side about the whole uh miles and all that nonsense listen if you go back and look at those fights though the fight against Max Holloway Dustin led the dance. He didn't really take a ton of damage in that fight. The Justin Gaethje fight, it was the leg kicks. You know, but again, he really was winning that whole fight. Um, Yeah, listen, when you get to this point in a division this strong, you're going to fight nothing but killers. And outside of the Khabib fight, which again, he didn't take a ton of damage. He got choked out, got taken down. I mean, you know, I think this break does a lot for Dustin. But if you go back and look at Dan Hooker also, I personally scored the fight for Paul Felder, you know? Um, And that's not a knock on Hooker. Paul just, I thought, won that fight. I think that Dustin's the better boxer. You know, also fighting as a southpaw. Hooker has had a little bit of issues in that department. I think to Kenny's point, though, if Dustin wants a, I don't want to say easier path, that really doesn't exist, but a more clear path, he needs to use his boxing, get against a cage, and if he takes uh, Dan down, at least he'll steal some rounds in the beginning. We know five rounds in cardio is not a problem for Dustin Poirier either. So, you know, I don't really see why people are nervous about Dustin, I, I really don't think this is that close of a fight. Um, you know, I, I don't know what Dan has done to show me that he dominates or finishes Dustin Poirier. Who's who's knocked out Dustin Poirier since Connor? I don't think anybody, right? Maybe Michael Johnson before that. Um, I'm going Dustin Poirier here. I'm going to go by decision. You know, I'm going with the vet. I think he comes back strong, mentally strong. I've heard a lot of guys from top team saying that he's super focused. So I'm going with the diamond here. 
Artie and likes the Diamond Dustin Poirier over five rounds. If we get a 25-minute affair, this could be uh, a crazy fight. You can find Ian on social media at Ian Parker MMA. Outstanding job, my friend. Beard looks great. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I got to come up with some sort of background like that to throw you guys off your game. This I is just wait. a one-time thing. But when I'm back in Boca, this is, this is probably going away. But For you, but I got to do better than this fucking shade behind me. So. You do. You do. I'm going to get a ficus like Kenny. All right, man. See you, buddy. See you, there dude. he is, Later, Ian guys. Parker, with us every week as part of the main event challenge. Ken Flo, before I let you go, cage size. I know we've talked a lot about it, right? I do think it has a profound impact on the sport. Generally speaking, I think I lean towards the big guy. I've had a lot of conversations with fans, and I do think there's more room to let your skills and talent take over. And I want the thought from you on Steep A in D.C. because it was announced that this trilogy is going to be completed in the 25-footer. And I think the initial thought is, ooh, maybe that's an advantage for Daniel Cormier. But in my conversation with Dominic Cruz, I'm not so sure because I think for Stipe, like DC needs some room to operate with the wrestling. I feel like Stipe can get to that wall pretty quickly and use it to get up. I mean, do you see in that heavyweight championship fight the small octagon being a definite advantage for, for either Stipe or DC? It's an advantage for me. I think it's an advantage for the grappler. Oh, um, always has been. Uh, so I'm, I'd be curious to hear Dominic Cruz's uh, opinion on that. But I think, again, it all depends if DC wants to play the wrestler or if he wants to go out there and try to strike with Stipe like he did in that second fight, which I think was um, really the beginning of the end for him. I, right. I didn't think that was a good choice. But, um, you know, for me, I, I think it's a huge advantage for someone like Daniel Cormier. Uh, Stipe doesn't have the room uh, to move in there. Who's the better wrestler between those two? Daniel Cormier. Um, you know, so Stipe not being able to get away. And yes, you, you got the cage to get back to your feet and all that stuff. But if DC is doing his job as a wrestler, um, Stipe shouldn't be able to get up. In, in fact, uh, the fence could be used in a very positive way. Now, I don't see a lot of people utilizing it in that way. Yeah. Uh, but you tell Habib that that's a disadvantage for people. Right. Who do it. right. It's, it's a disadvantage for people who don't know how to utilize it if you get the top position. So, um, again, I, I think this greatly favors Daniel Cormier. I wouldn't be surprised if DC, uh, being the savvy guy and smart guy that he is, really kind of... Um, argued for the 25 foot cage, the smaller cage. I think it's a huge advantage. Definitely. Yeah. I, and that's interesting to hear you uh, so convicted on that side. I do believe Stipe has actually come out and requested the 30 footer, which certainly dovetails yeah. with your analysis. I guess I'm sort of thinking that, you know, if he can get his ass to the wall at DC, wouldn't have as much room to operate, but I will tell you DC's approach in that second fight was largely a byproduct of the fact that he really couldn't do any sort of wrestling up until two weeks before the fight. So I do believe if he's able to stay healthy and that's a thing with both of these guys, but for Cormier in particular right. to be able to stay healthy through the training, camp and if he is able to stay healthy through the training camp and wrestle in theory his approach uh would be different so MeraukeeBJJ.com, you're back open but it's not like all oh, hands on deck everybody walk in the building yeah. i think people are signing up at times is that how you're working yeah, exa exactly yeah. you have your allotted times where you come in you sign up for the time that you want to train at so either way man it, it's been great uh thank you for that for, for that and it, it's been great to have the guys back in the gym i, I think you know, during these times when you're cooped up and you want to be doing something physical, especially something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, people really need it. Uh, they, yeah. they really do. So seeing the smiles on their faces and then, you know, finally get to do what they love to do is is awesome, both for, for us as business owners and, and for the students.
It's an amazing thing. MeraukeeBJJ.com if you like Ken Flo's shirt and FlorianPodcast.com. Our new website, you can buy merchandise there. There is a promo code up there. Uh, you can listen to the show there, watch the show there, bios on all the talent and everything else. So AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. And uh, we might be dark next week. I have some travel obligations, and it's going to be difficult to, to try to figure out a window to get everybody on board. So there's a chance a slight chance the show is dark next week. And if that is the case, then uh, we will be back with you uh, in two weeks and we will preview UFC 251 and the championship triple header coming up uh, on Fight Island. Thank you to our guests, Ray Longo and Ian Parker. Our producer is TJ DeSantis. Cody Merrow put it all together on the video side. With that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Today's episode in memory of the late, great Kirk Florian. Until next week, everybody out there, be well. Enjoy the fights. Don't text and drive. Yo later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.